so may, maybe this has happened to you, but it's happened to me where uh, I start to realize somebody believes something that's crazy. Something that's just like a little weird. It's like, I can't, I can't actually believe you believe that. Like, like sometimes you'll talk to people when this movie came out called Lord of the Rings. They would talk about the world as if there was real and, and this Spiegel thing was real. And then I got the friends that's the Star Wars friends get all dressed up and get to the point of like arguing for real arguing about like the sequence of the movies and the whole nine. I'm going to be honest. I thought that was a white thing until <laughs> Black Panther happened. <laughs> Went to see Black Panther and homies was wearing stuff. And I even heard a few people talking about where Wakanda was. And I'm like, <laughs> you know that this, you know, See, see, sometimes you can start actually believing some stuff that's a, that's a bit weird, that's a, that's a bit crazy, and, 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 it, and it leads you astray. As we, as your elders, have prayed through a whole series of topics that are key to the fundamentals of the faith, the foundations of the faith, the basic things you need to be able to have, to have a solid Christian faith, we talked about God, the beauty of the Trinity. We talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We talked about the sanctifying work he does. But if you became a believer, if you began to understand this beautiful God and who he is, you then would be challenged. You'd be challenged as to whether your faith is real, challenged as to whether this belief in God is real, challenged as to whether Faith is worth giving your life to. And so today, one of the foundational aspects of our faith we are talking about are some of the some of the lies that are told in our community. Some of the deceiving words that happen in our community that actually snatch people from the faith. We want you to be equipped so that you are not duped and you are not taken advantage of and you are not fooled, but also so that you could care for someone else that might be fooled into thinking that Wakanda is real. So would you join with me in Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to read today. Matthew chapter 13. You should have a pew Bible near your knees, and if not, uh, right up here on the screen will be Matthew chapter 13. Lord, would you allow your word to go forth, encourage your people, that we might be able to clearly understand who you are and who we are in you. So in Jesus' name I pray, remove me that your people might hear you. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. We'll start at verse 1 through 9, and then we'll skip and go 18 to 23. Verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, 
And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then continue down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So what's happening here, Pastor? Let me, let me try to explain a little bit what's going on. Jesus is using a, a story or something that we call a parable. If you just look at the opening story, you'll miss an underlying truth that God is trying to teach us. He uses this idea of a farmer casting seed. And, and farmer would have been a very common term there. It would have been as if I said today, hey, this man went over to Chrysler plant to work uh, for Chrysler. Like it's, it's so common to the culture that as soon as he said farmer, everyone was like, okay, I get where this is going. And he uses this idea of seed being sharing the gospel. But the idea is that he walks and throws seed far, long, and hard, trusting that it'll land where it should and not just choosing to place each seed in one particular place, but actually casting it out. And so now what, what Jesus helps us understand is that the farmer is being faithful, sharing the gospel, but that different environments allow for the seed to grow. Different environments allow for the seed to grow. And for me, like I, I think in terms of like linear stuff, so this guy had a chart, so I just stole his chart, putting it up here. This brother named Campbell who wrote a commentary on the opening of Matthew. So if, if, you're, if, if you're walking along the path, that type of soil results in contact with the seed. It's the birds swoop down, the seed's taken immediately, gospel stolen right away, no depth. They hear the word but don't understand it. The devil steals it away. Rocky ground has no depth of the earth. There's an instant growth but no real root, so therefore it gets scorched by the sun. There's an initial reception of the gospel message, but persecution leads to falling away. Then you got it amongst the weeds. The seed grows among thorns and they rise up and choke it. The reception of the word is compromised by riches and by worldly concerns. And then lastly, there's that, that good soil. That, 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 that good soil, the tilled ground. 
seed takes root and there was growth. The word is heard, understood, received with spiritual fruit in human life, and it can reap a harvest 160 or 30 times fold. Family, I want to allow this parable, this story, to help us understand a complex aspect of doing life in our, in our community. Because like the way I process things, I, I always kind of start with a, a, a question of why. Why would someone believe in a false doctrine? Why would a person believe in a false gospel? Why would a person allow themselves to be deceived when there's churches, there's a couple churches in Detroit. There's a lot of churches in Detroit. A lot of people are spreading the gospel. A lot of people are out here getting the word forth. We have been blessed to partner with some great churches. So why are groups like Hebrew Israelites, groups like the Five Percenters, groups like Nation of Islam actually making some headway into our community? Well, I'm going to tell you. But first, in order to help you understand, I've got to give you a historical narrative to lead you up to being able to accept and understand how this parable coincides with our history as Detroit. Because there is a history that would bring us to this point. And I want to say that actually, even though this is a great illustration that God uses and ultimately Jesus is the only one responding for any seed to flourish. We still, though, as farmers, have the opportunity to determine how do we handle the different soils in our community? How do we respond when we see rocky ground? How do we respond when we see that weeds are present? So for the sake of our message today, we're going to focus on the two in the center. Because I believe that this is still uh, an area that the church can be tackling. It doesn't mean that we will necessarily turn a rock into, into great soil. But what it does mean is that we don't see people as people that we should write off, but actually as people that we should be asking, Lord, what can we do to the environment to help them be able to grow and flourish? Because for some reason, they are being fooled. For some reason, we are being fooled. Because this movement to some of the Hebrew Israelite and some of the five percenters and some of the nation of Islam is happening among believers. It's, it's said right now that almost 10% of their new member base is coming from Christians in churches. Jamie? Yep. That was going to be at the end. <laughs> but you know what? No. You know what? I think I, I'm happy you said that. So, um, so those three groups have something in common. The one thing they have in common is the elevation of black culture. They, they, they have different aspects of what they say is the root to God and the way in which they celebrate God and the way in which they believe in God. 
because the, the five percenters at one point flowed out of the nation of Islam. Hebrew Israelites would take a little bit of uh, Christianity, a little bit of Judaism, and mix it with a little bit of gumbo. And, but all three will say, to a degree, the black man is God. The black man is God. That, 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 that this man, this culture, is to be elevated among all. But how do we get there? Journey with me for a second, if you will. Don't, don't let these terms set you off, because sometimes you hear these terms. When I was in school, I, we would, there was a whole movement going on, and the movement in school was diversity. And every time they said diversity, I was like, uh, here we go again, diversity. Don't, don't let some of these terms throw you off. Because I want you to see the historical buildup that got us here, okay? All right. So we have a, 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 we have four kind of pockets of history. The first pocket of history is 1619 to 1863. That's the time of slavery. First slaves hit America 1619. Those slaves are 20, 20 of them in Richmond, Virginia. Slavery begins to grow. Detroit is starting to grow. Detroit, 1700. You have Native Americans here. A variety is about six or seven different Native American tribes. One of them is the Iroquois tribe. And there's a, 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 an engagement of goods that's taking place and then Detroit begins to build a fort. Detroit begins to have protection and about 1700 is when Detroit, excuse me, uh, begins to be established. Now, you still have Christians sharing the faith with slaves at this point. And even though they are subjugated and they are property, they are being told that this God is their God. And in an interesting way, the slaves not only receive God, but they recognize that the God that you speak of is different than the God that you behave like. You speak of the God that I want to serve because I believe in that God, but the way you behave is very different. So you worship a different God than the God that you teach me about. And so you have men begin to rise up in the ranks. And in 1786, a man named Richard Allen is a preacher that is drawing people to Christ. He is sharing the faith. He is sharing the gospel. And he starts with a small meeting in the basement of the white church. The small meeting gets a little bit bigger. It starts to enter into some people coming into the balcony. Then they say, wait a minute. Black man, you're bringing too many people in here. Y'all gonna have to go to another area. He starts bringing more people. Y'all gotta go to another, bring more. And what happens is they get so frustrated when he says, I'm tired of y'all telling me I've got to be confined to another area of worship. We're gone. First, first what I would call racial church split. Richard Allen. And he branches off and starts a black church. He starts the African Methodist Episcopal Church in 1786. Why? Because when we have the opportunity for unity, 
when we had the opportunity for oneness, for some reason, the God that the white church at that moment preached about, they didn't live out. They preached about a God who was of mercy, inclusion, and unity, but they demonstrated a God of separation and segregation. But in 1804, the northern states abolished slavery, and the north, we are told, abolished slavery um, because of the goodness of their heart. Um, that you had some people, and along this entire journey, you have whites that are saying, we believe that slavery is wrong, we believe injustice is wrong, we stand up against it. But there was a big push to end slavery in the north because it didn't make sense financially. In the South, you can work a black person year-round. Look at them coats y'all got on. In the North, it gets cold. In the North, ain't nothing growing in the winter. So now you've got 50, 60, 100, 200 people that you got to clothe, feed, all that stuff. Guess what? That's not a good investment. It's not, it's not a good investment. So financially, it doesn't make sense in the North like it does in the South as well as you have this voice of whites who are saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And in 1804, the North abolishes slavery, but French and British could continue to have slaves. But if a slave came North, they could be returned. And so while the North abolished slavery, Jim Crow segregation was established, a way to legalize separating blacks and whites. Then we have the Emancipation Proclamation take place in 1863. And at this point, you've got about 250 years of slavery and oppression in America before it ends. Historical marker number one, slavery. Historical marker number two, Jim Crow. 1863 to 1929, Jim Crow. Blacks were primarily a unified group in the sense that much people had the same values, same racially charged experiences, and were primarily still Christian. You had the church and Christians very involved in the faith and very involved in social endeavors. Having a nonprofit come out of a church, that's been done forever in the black church. Responding to community needs was a hallmark of the black community and knowing the community needs and having their finger on the community needs and being prophetic in those community needs was a hallmark of the black church in this era. Even in the midst of legalized lynching, even in the midst of legalized systematic oppression, even in the midst of separate but equal, the black church is growing. And Detroit is growing. Detroit goes from 4,000 uh, blacks in, 10, in 1910 to 120 by 1930. 120,000 people are flooding. You have the creation of the NAACP. You have the creation, creation of the Urban League. But you start having some splintering voices within blackness. Some folks that start saying, Okay, now, we've been waiting. 
When is it going to get better? We've been waiting. It's going to get better, right? Okay. We've been waiting. And how long do we keep waiting? And so then we move towards the civil rights era. The third aspect, the third historical marker and the collective power of of black people come through the voice of a great famous preacher who was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This articulate, poised, educated, grounded man in the gospel spoke against injustice while at the same time empowering all people. One of the beautiful aspects of Dr. King, which was similar to Nelson Mandela, was that he never preached that black people should return the same pain that whites had given. He always preached grace, equality, and unity. So while King was making much progress, uh, he was also receiving a lot of a lot of opposition. A lot of opposition. Um, legal things were happening just down the road from us. I think I've told you guys about Ozzie and Sweet, a gentleman who um, defended his home, and there's a state marker outside of his house right by Hutchinson Howe, and he uh, defended his home. Black man uh, shot a white person, uh, trying to defend against a crowd that was trying to harm him and his family, and one of the first black men to get off in court. And so after that, the, the government made a rule that everyone had to have their guns registered. And guess who was allowed to register guns and who weren't? You see, King and black people were now facing legalized oppression that was different than the slavery era. Now through a fight for civil rights, injustice was taking place through policy. And each of these eras, you find people of color feeling more and more burdened. Burdened. And so Carl Ellis writes that uh, there's a Reverend Earl Little and his wife. They have a son that they named Malcolm. Reverend Earl was a Baptist preacher who was part of the Garvey movement. Historically, black churches have never had the freedom to stay out of politics. They always were connected to politics because it moved people forward. But unfortunately, his family had to move a lot too. Run out of Omaha, where they first started by the KKK. His family was moved. Or excuse me, his family fled for their lives. Then his family fled for their lives in Milwaukee. And then his family led for their, fled for their lives from Chicago and ultimately landing in Lansing, Michigan. Malcolm Little is in Michigan, and each time he moves, he are fleeing violence from whites, and lastly, after his dad is killed, his mom has a nervous breakdown. Entire family split up, separated. He goes into a life of crime, and began to serve six years in jail. While in jail, his cousin that is praying for him consistently comes and says, hey, my church is praying for you. 
We hope things will be better. My church is praying for you. And then one day that same cousin comes and says, did you know that the black man is God? Did you know that this white experience is all created to systematically hold us down and stop us from being in our godness? Did you know that you were created above the rest of these people? And all of this pain, all of this hurt, all of this injustice from years upon years upon years resonated. And when Malcolm Little got out, he came to Detroit. And that's when he joined the Nation of Islam and changed his name to Malcolm X. And he became one of the most prolific speakers that represented the Nation of Islam. But what he represented, said Elders Cleaver, was not simply an ideology about faith. He represented a voice of suffering that Christians even embody. They say, oh, I won't touch you on that faith aspect. But you're speaking about the pain that I'm experiencing. You're speaking about the hurt. You're speaking about the weight that is on my shoulders. And you are not saying let's wait to do something later. You're not saying let's trust God down the road. You're saying let's take action into our hands today. And it sounds good. You see, people begin to believe things because those thoughts, those ideas, those concepts hit a core aspect that is empty. See, see, this brother was in jail, angry at what people had done to his family, and finally somebody gave him an understanding of how it all took place. That's how we began to believe these lies about God and about ourselves when someone speaks to a core pain that we have. You move to present day, you've got Detroit. Y'all know the stories. It's, it's, it's been all too often in our headlines. I don't even remember what all the things I put up there. Job growth going crazy in the early 70s and 80s. Middle class whites and blacks leave the city. Southfield grows like crazy, goes up to 70% black. See Warren go like crazy. Crack epidemic just cripples the city. And, and, and those that are impoverished in the city just feel have you have you ever been have you ever been tripped not have you ever tripped over something like you can trip over something and it and it and it like make you angry but have you ever had someone intentionally trip you it it is it is like an anger down to your heart because it has rocked your stability. It, is, it has led you to not be able to protect, care for. And imagine if every time you get up, you just feel like somebody trips you again. That's, that's, what it, that's what it feels like when you are an impoverished person. When poverty is around you and is on you, it just feels like, yeah, sometimes I might trip. 
But there's an entire system that is designed to keep tripping me. And then we get people that are in places of power and influence and they say stuff that just keeps triggering it. Like, I can see it from both ways. We get people in power that, that, that set off these things. And so, Pastor, how is this connecting back to the scripture? Because you've been away from the scripture for a while. Family, I want you to see a couple things. One, I want you to see that the gospel can be stolen, can be, can be taken away. The gospel can be squeezed out of the hearts of people when you allow your pain to be louder than your praise. See, as long as you allow your pain to resound louder than the God who wants to enter into that and care for you, you will always be susceptible to lies. You'll always be open to someone deceiving you. You'll always be, be set up to fail. Listen to what the Morris Science Temple believes. There's an American, now this is from uh, Wikipedia, a credible source. Um, more signs of Temple, Temple of America. This, these are uh, the Moore brothers. Uh, as an American national religious organization founded by uh, noble Drew Ali. Uh, his doctrine was intended to provide African Americans with a sense of identity in the world to promote civic involvement. If you create an entire faith to care for an identity issue that black people have, do you think you'll be successful? You think you'll be successful? I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I stand before you and I have this identity issue. Black Hebrew Israelites are groups of African Americans who believe they are descendants of ancient Israelites. They adhere to varying degrees of religious beliefs and practices of both Christianity and Judaism. Uh, they're not recognized as Jews by the greater Jewish community, community, but many choose to identify as Hebrew Israelites or black Hebrews rather than as Jews to indicate their claimed historic connections. Mm -hmm. What is this? Family, this is black supremacy at its finest. Mm -hmm. That your ideas are supreme over other people just because of the way God made you. That, that you are better and greater just because of the way God made you. This is black supremacy. But, but, but what does white supremacy look like? When, when all the images look like you. When all the references look like you. When all things positive look like you. You see, there's a supremacy issue on all of us when we don't allow the gospel that is a multicultural, multifaceted celebration of every ethnic, equally founded doctrine. I love Acts 2. Acts 2 does not say that each person heard the gospel in English. Acts 2 does not say each person heard the gospel in southern twang. So that, so that we all 
had to had to have our ears tweaked to be able to compromise to an English dialect. No, what does it say? It says that they all heard it in their language. Why? Because your language is beautiful, baby. Because your complexion is beautiful. Black, white, light, dark, whatever. It is beautiful. And present in that list is Cyrene and Libya. African nations. Why? Because God is showing a beautiful, beautiful spread of his gospel is not to change you, to make you like one culture. It's for your culture to glorify God in the way he made it. So you should not be ashamed that you're white. You should not be ashamed that you're black. But what we do all have to do is be careful. When does some of our hurts, when does some of our pains, when does some of the holes within us begin to elevate our needs a little bit above the gospel? And today we're using black people as a prototype. The issue is real for you as an individual regardless. Maybe it's not culture for you. Maybe it's your identity and gender. Maybe it's you not having a, 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 a father figure. Maybe it's mom walking out. I don't know what it is. But there can be a hole in you that Satan wants to fill with some lies. And the question is, will you expose it before Satan tries to fill it? God, I give it unto you. I see the hole that this is and it hurts and the pain is real. And I present it unto you for help. And I welcome my brothers and sisters into this journey with me. Or I can push it down. I can conceal it. I can act as if everything's okay when inside I'm ready to explode. If one more person says something to me, that's a little bit of my issue. My wife and I have been praying through, like, how are we going to start talking to some of our partners about some of the racial stuff that's going on because it's just crazy. And God's given us a great platform and a great inroad. And I don't realize it until somebody says something to me that just is like the, the, the nail, what is it called, the camp, the hair to break the camel's back. Straw, Straw help me out. <laughs> Whole lot of hair, I know. I still remember, I've shared this with you, some of y'all still remember, baby, it's probably been what, 11, 12 years? Now, 11 years, we're sitting with a couple and we're having dinner. And the couple says to me, says to us, why do you think God's not in Detroit? Humble couple, kind, trying to talk to us, have an engaging conversation. Those words haunt me in times when I'm looking at politics, times when I'm reading Facebook ads, times when I get frustrated and I get angry, and just to put me over the point to slam my hand down in anger is what they said 13 years ago. I'm telling y'all, 
I have to keep taking that before the Lord. I haven't seen them. I, have we seen them since that? I don't even think we've seen them since that dinner. If she remembered, Buddha ain't like, what you talking about? Um, I haven't seen them in that long. And, it's the, and I, I have to keep that before the Lord. Because I know that Satan wants to use that as a trigger for me to when you do something small, that might be even innocent for me to let you have all of it. You're going to get with this person messed up, with that person. And family, unless we keep these things before God humbly and say, I know I'm broken. I know I'm jacked up. Father, I need your help. Community, I need your help. Look at the diversity in this room. If we're not bumping and stepping on each other's toes at some point, we ain't being real. Right. At some point, we're not being real. And so what do I want to see happen? I want us to be able to see how the gospel chokes out things. For one, for us to be prepared so that we can be equipped for it not to dupe us and we not get fooled. But then I want to end. I don't even know where I am in my slide. I want to end with 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, which says this. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will, uh, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Sound familiar? We're, we're, we're in that season, y'all. But the thing that I don't want you to, to miss, because what my reformed context wants me to focus on is reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I don't even want you to do that. I want you to focus on being completely patient. I want you to see the burden of generational pain that this person is bringing to you as they walk to your house, yeah. as they come in our church, yeah. and not respond with a sharp rebuke, yeah. not respond right off with a reproof, respond yeah. with some patience. Yeah. Because God was patient with you. Yeah. God was patient with me. This is nothing more than a simple opportunity to keep retelling the gospel that Lord Jesus, while yet we were in sin, you died for our sake. You want an example of patience? You want an example of grace? Look no further than Jesus. He was the ultimate example of patience. And so when we are out sharing this gospel, when we are out tossing it and we see somebody that's struggling, I don't want to take the parable too far, but the reality is people are struggling and we see them believing lies. Yeah. Will you write them off? Oh man, he Hebrews like he lost. Oh man, she's a prostitute. She lost. Oh man, he's he, he on drugs. Or will you say, Lord, 
I don't know what it is they're trying to feed, but would you give me the patience to walk with them? I'm not saying don't rebuke. I'm not saying don't reprove. I'm saying patiently. Maybe listen first. Give them a space to yell and not be judged. Give them a space to scream out loud and not be everybody run away from them. Give them a space to just be real. And then walk with them. Hey, might be thinking of something that's a little off here. Can you tell me how, why you think that? You mind explaining to me how you got to that point? Aliens? <laughs> help me, help me get that one, you know? Family, this is a, 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 a gracious God who's been steadfast, loving, kind to us. What he says to you is, I see you in your brokenness. And because of my love for you, I will separate all of the sin and iniquities that you've committed as far as the east is from the west. The only thing that I ask is for your life. That's all. The only thing I ask is for your life. Because any, anything short is you not believing in the full power of my love. If you want to give me half of you while you still hold on to your sin, if you want to give me a portion of you while you still go do your thing, then you don't believe in the extent of my love for you on the cross. And I want you to feel the power, the fullness of my spirit take over your life. So give me you. My Dr. Martin Luther King said these words. And I think it, it, was, it was good for me. Uh, Alvin has been a, a great brother for me as we, even as elders, we're going through a lot of reading on this topic. And one of the things he like encouraged me in was the the unity found across class that sometimes a lot of times what you'll find is there's a commonality of poor people whatever color you are it's a commonality of rich people whatever color you are and and so dr king says he's where he says again we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth that capitalism grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of a work, of a hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, both here and abroad. Dr. King was a, a, a great man in that his hope and his desire was to bring forth unity. But that unity had to happen as a result of exposing pain. Family, I want us to be a people who are willing to be real about the pain we have so we will not be deceived, but enter into caring for the pain of others with a patient heart that God might do something in the soil to allow them to grow. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for you. We don't want to be fooled, tricked, and deceived, but we recognize how a person can get to that point. Don't let our arrogance lead us astray. 
We know that you have us. You've grabbed our hearts. Nothing can tear us out of your grip. Yet we want to be prophetic and we want to be a clear witness to our community. Lead us in that. Guide us in that. Let the church, which was so intimately connected to the needs of the neighborhood, be that once again. And Father, as we desire that for our entire, for your church universal, we also ask that that would be the, the case for Macav Community Church. We thank you, Lord, for the many ways you're leading us. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.